I think I just kind of sat in a lot of disbelief. I was angry. I was angry at God. The life that I thought you were going to redeem and restore, like, is just sitting in ruins. It really had me wrestling with the question, if God said no to my prayers for restoration, would my faith remain the same? I never envisioned being in this place. Never envisioned going through divorce. It was the loss of time with Hudson. It was the loss of memories that you have for the future kind of die, you know? And so then you're living in this new reality and everything's kind of changing and you don't know where to get your footing. I had to wrestle through bitterness and I was angry with God, like no question. You know, I'm pouring out to you, I'm chasing after you for the first time authentically and genuinely in my life. And you say no to something that I know you're for. I was really challenged that you need to serve. You need to, you need to begin serving. And I think in that, I started to be able to get outside of my own trial. And it shifted the perspective from, this is about restoration of something that I really wanted. And it shifted to, no, this is about restoration of your relationship with Jesus. I started to realize it was gonna make me a better father and friend. It was really gonna return me exactly to you know, the identity that Christ had for me. It's led me into like a lot of amazing opportunities to like walk alongside people that were walking things, quite frankly, that were far deeper than like things I was walking. I'm finally getting somewhere. Yeah, that's good. And I praise God for this place. Yeah, man. I praise God for you. Hey, you too. For real. Bro. You too, bro. Because doggone it. Man, you know. Had you not been Jermaine, you need <laughs> You're flourishing, man. Like, we, you know what I mean? Like, you just have been willing in conversation, both of us, both ways, to encourage both ways. And like, you just see so much fruit in your walk. You know what I mean? And like, God's just going to continue to affirm all these steps of obedience you've taken, and you'll see it in the fruit that surrounds your life. And I think that's really cool, man. In sitting with people like Jermaine, who has just become like an impactful person in my life, to like see the brokenness that he's walking in his own right, to realize that like the commonality between the two of us is we both need each other to encourage each other. I think I used to operate a lot in belief, which belief would be if something happens in my life and I like it, then it's from God. And this is the big change for me is like, it's moved from belief to faith where faith is like, if it's in my life, it's good and it's from God, even if I can't see it. What God did in my story is he redeemed my heart. And like, he let me walk into my own desert, right? My own wilderness so that I could walk with people out of their own. And that is where I have so much joy about this story is I don't have shame about it. Like, I don't wear the identity of a divorced man. Like, I'm a child of God that went through a trial of divorce and was redeemed from it. We just take a moment and celebrate and honor Chris sharing his story. <clears throat> it's, it's 
beautiful, um, and it's real, and it's honest, and there's a line that he said at the beginning of that video that I've been thinking about all week. He said, you know, what do you do when the thing you thought God was going to redeem and restore lies in ruins? How do you find joy in that place? You know, that's what we're gonna be looking at today. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip open to Philippians chapter three. We're gonna start in verse 12 today. And as you make your way there, I'll go ahead and give you the title just to get this out in front of you. The title for today is, <laughs> I'll just read it. Uh, when the past haunts you. Some of you are already like, come on, man. Like, I'm trying to enjoy spring break. It's already snowing outside and you wanna lay this on me. But I promise you, it, it is a heavy one, but it's one that will, it will end in hope. And I hope that it just, it brings you to the space of knowing that no matter what's happened in your past, that God has a future for you. And so uh, we're just gonna go ahead and jump right into it today. And what we've been reading in this, you know, um, in this series is really Paul writing this short letter to this church. And what we've said is he's managed to find joy in every circumstance, that no matter what we're going through, no matter even if the way that it kind of shakes out isn't the way we thought it would, that God has something for us. And, and today is no different, and it's powerful. So take a look at verse 12. Paul says, I, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to, to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possess me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I love that. Um, the first thing that I just want to acknowledge is how refreshing it is to hear from a leader. He starts this thing off by saying, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. And I hope as a leader, I know a lot of us are, all of us are, that you can kind of sit with that today and know that leadership does not mean that you have to be perfect. And pretending to be a perfect leader really does more harm than, than, than good. So Paul starts off by saying, I haven't arrived yet, but that doesn't stop me from pressing on. That doesn't stop me from wanting more. And the why that he gives, the why that Paul gives here at the beginning is what separates Christianity from everything else. Because a lot of things in your life will call you to more, will continue to ask you to push forward. But why does Paul push forward? He says, I press on because Jesus has already pressed into me. I reach out because Jesus has already reached out to me, this is First John. We love because he first loved us. So any movement we make, any reason that we have, it is not out of obligation, but it's out of love. It is a response to what has already been done for me and you, and that's our why. And that really sets the table for what freedom can look like for this future we're pressing on towards. The other thing, this phrase that I really wanna push in on, he says is this one thing. 
This one thing, and then most of our time today is gonna be breaking down this one thing. But before we do, I just wanna push on the myth of priorities. The myth of priorities. And there's this incredible book, Essentialism. It's one of my favorite books. It really kind of helped shape my life. And he talks about this, this myth of priorities. Take a look at what he says. He says, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. It was singular. It meant that very first or prior thing. And it stayed singular for the next 500 years. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality, right? We love the idea that we don't have one thing, we have multiple number one things. But it's just not true. One thing has to take the number one spot. And this one thing, it's a biblical phrase that's used over and over again in different circumstances. As I was studying this week, the one that came to mind was this situation with these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus comes to them, and they approach the situation very, very differently. And look at what Jesus says to them. He says, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details but there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And if you read this account, you know that Martha went running around, doing everything that she could, all these details, but Mary just went and she sat at Jesus' feet, and she listened to every word that he said, and she just was with Jesus. That's the one thing. That's the prize. And Jesus says she has found it and nothing is gonna take that from her. So what we're gonna do today is, is really, like I said, dial in on this one thing that Paul says in the midst of everything that we have going on, if we can boil it down to this one thing, we'll be able to move past our past and to step into the future that God has for us. So one thing, but we're gonna break it into two sections. The first line that he says was, hey, forgetting the past, forgetting the past. And I think it's important to note here that Paul had a past. Some of you guys know this, but he was not always the billboard child for Christianity. He was not always the guy that was planting churches and writing the letters. He was the guy that was trying to destroy the church. He persecuted it. He was throwing men, women, everyone into prison for their belief. He was there and authorized the death of the first Christian martyr. He had this idea of the, the life that God had for him. He thought he was going to be this next great Jewish leader. And as he's going to this next city, believing that his plan for life is gonna be redeemed and restored, on this road to Damascus, his life lays and ruins, and God grabs a hold of his heart and reshapes him and brings him alive to this new idea of who he really is in the life that he has for him. So I think it's, we, we gotta acknowledge that. We all have a past, myself included. We have things that we've done. We have things that were done to us. We have things that we wish we would have done differently. So I just wanna ask you today, when you came in, are, are you still haunted 
by your past? Does it just keep coming up? Does it keep pulling you back? To forget your past, this is what you're saying. You're saying, I'm no longer going to allow my past to negatively influence my present and my future. And I'm just gonna put it out there to you. If you're wondering, how do I do that? How do I step into that? Here's what you have to wrestle with and to believe. God has forgiven me. God has forgiven me. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, I, <laughs> I don't know. And I just wanna put this out in front of you. I know it can almost sound virtuous and almost like it's, there's some weight behind it, like you really understand your sin, so it's really hard for you to wrestle with it, what, was, what happened in the past. But there's two sides to that coin. When you say, I don't know if I can be forgiven, what you're saying is that I don't know if God's grace is that big. And I wanna stand here today with all the confidence I have to assure you that God's grace is bigger than your greatest sin. The sin from the 1960s, the sin from last night. And because of your faith in Jesus, you are forgiven. Hear me when I say this. There are, there are no asterisks by the cross. You know what I mean? There were no exceptions. It says that Jesus died once for all. Every bit of sin, the whole penalty, all of it, was crucified with him. You are forgiven. And you are forgiven from your past. But it's not even just the, the bad things that we have to get out of, that we have to be able to walk out of. It's, it's also the good things. Like some of us, we're being held up right now by plagued by a pretty checkered past and things that, that happen. But others of us are being held back because we're content with the good things that once happened. We are living in a previous decade. We are content because of what we once did. Have you ever met people like this? You get into a conversation with them, you start talking, and it doesn't matter. This conversation is going to shift about 10, 15 years. They are gonna get you back to their glory days of high school or whenever that thing was. Of like, did I tell you about the time when I was the quarterback? It's like, no, but I was just asking if we had any specials today at the, at the restaurant. What are you talking about, man? But it's just this constant drive of looking back and believing my best days are behind me. Either way, if we hold on to that past, we're never gonna be able to press on. We're never gonna be able to have what God has for us because that's actually the second part of it, right? He says, forget the past, and then look at the second part. That he says, this one thing, the scripture, yeah, there we go. Um, he says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So you see this picture of like, I've, I've let go of my past. I've forgotten about it. I'm no longer allowing it to negatively influence me. And now I'm pressing on. I'm pushing on. I'm moving ahead. I'm running this race. Now, the thing that I found fascinating, I always say that I find it fascinating because you might not find it fascinating. But Paul uses two different words here, but they're actually the same word. The words press, and persecute. So earlier he said, hey, I used to persecute the church. And now he says, I press 
on to run this race. Now, what word could be translated two different ways like this, from persecute to press? Well, it's this idea of pressing or pounding or forging into shape. So what Paul was saying is that I used to persecute the church. I spent my life, I inserted all of my energy to press the church into destruction. I was trying to submit them. And now he says on the other side, because of what God's done in my life, I take that same energy and I apply it over here. And now, I, instead of gathering up the church, I'm gathering up myself. And through the work of the Spirit, I'm pressing and pounding, and I'm shaping myself into the image of Jesus so that I can run this one race that he's called me to. And I want you to think about that picture, that, that shaping, that forging, that molding into place. The first thing that comes to mind is like a blacksmith almost, you know what I mean? Like they heat up the metal, and then they're just banging and banging, and then slowly shaping this thing into shape. Or maybe you're thinking about, like, what about like a bodybuilder, right? Like, you ever seen one of these guys? I've never seen one in the mirror, but I've seen one on TV and stuff. <laughs> but like that, you know what I mean? That didn't happen. He wasn't just born and woke up. Like, that is days and weeks and years of training and pressing and forging into shape. But I'll tell you the real thing that came to my mind when I started thinking about this, and it was kind of fascinating because I've, I've never done anything with bread before, but it's kneading bread, right? I've never kneaded bread before. I've, I've kneaded bread, you know, like garlic bread with pasta, <laughs> but I've never kneaded bread. And, and as I just began to kind of look through it and research it, I learned that there's actually a lot that happens whenever you're kneading and pushing and forging the bread into shape. It's more than that, more than what's going on on the surface. Underneath this, there's like this chemical process that's happening between this gluten and these proteins. Now, I don't know what happens if you eat gluten-free bread. I didn't have enough time to research all of that, you know what I mean? <laughs> God just gave me a little picture. Um, but what happens through this as you begin to knead the bread and forcefully push it and flip it and mold it, this gluten matrix happens and it allows air to get on the inside. And then as the air comes in, this is what's gonna allow the bread to, to rise. Without the kneading, the bread will not be able to hold its shape. It won't have the strength needed to go through the baking process, you know what I mean? What Paul is saying in this is he's saying, hey, I've submitted myself to this one thing, to training for this one thing, and God, this master creator and forger, by, by hand is pressing me and shaping me and folding me and molding me into the image of Jesus. And I'm doing all of this for this, for this one thing, because I'm gonna place myself in this position and when I do, through this shaping and molding, it's gonna create the space needed so air can come in, so the Holy Spirit can come in and do the work that's needed, so that I can have the strength and the shape needed to run this race. And this race, this is this concept that Paul talks about in a sev several different places, here in Philippians, but he also talks about it in Corinthians. Look at what he says. 
He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So how should we run? Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So Paul takes it a step further and gives us more of this race illustration. He says, every single step is with a purpose, and I train my body to bring it under control so that I can offer more and more of it to Jesus. Like, have you ever seen a runner, like when they are just getting after it? It takes every part of them to run, right? Even their face, right? Like, even, like you can just look at this guy, and you know he's running faster than you will ever run. Like, if your faith doesn't look like this man's face, I don't want it. <laughs> this, is, this is what faith looks like, that I'm training my body, that I'm shaping it, that I'm placing myself in these environments so that God can mold me into the shape that he has for me, so that he can have more and more possession of me to do and to run this race, like it should be clear that the hands of God are on us and shaping us, right? Like just as easy as it is if you saw a sword lying there, you would know that didn't just appear. A blacksmith had to shape and to bring this thing into this place. If you see a bodybuilder, right, you know that that took lots and lots of time. The same thing should be true of us because of our faith because of the shaping that is happening, because of what God is doing in us, there should be no mistake. That is not natural. That is supernatural. That person, something has happened to them. Something has been forged in them. They have been pressed and shaped into something that is very different than most of the people I interact with. But I'll tell you, that's not always the case. And I'll tell you something that I've heard before, and maybe you've heard it too, and I get where it comes from, but when you really think about it, it's pretty disrespectful. Maybe, maybe you've heard something like this before. They aren't a Christian, but they act more like a Christian than a lot of Christians I know. What? Imagine applying that logic to any other discipline, right? He's not a bodybuilder, but he looks better than most bodybuilders that I know. How? Uh, no, she, she doesn't dance ballet, but she's, better, she's a better ballet dancer than most professionals. Not a chance. Yeah, he doesn't really run, but he's probably faster than most Olympians. No, it should be the same for us. If I've given my life to training for this one race, and my trainer is the actual God of the universe, who has also given me his spirit, there's no way we're showing up to this race and we're running at the same clip. There's no way you're going as far as I'm going. There's no way that we are the same. But I get it. Because unfortunately, Christians have become synonymous with just average, just not bad people, maybe even morally good. But there's so much more than God has for us than just average 
or just morally good or not bad. And this was actually Paul, one of Paul's big problems with the early church. It kind of split into two camps, right? We talked about this last week, but there was the Judaizers. And these were the people that they were Jews before Jesus, before his ministry, and then they believed in Jesus, but they still held on to all their tradition and all of their religion and all of their ceremonies. And it's not just that they held on to it. They said, hey, it's, you need to believe in Jesus and also do these things to be saved. And Paul says, no, that's wrong. But then on the other side, there was this group, and we'll just call them casual Christians. They too believed in Jesus, but they believed that it was all done. Jesus came, Jesus lived, he died, he resurrected. Now I'm just waiting, my, biting my time until I get to go to heaven. Paul again, once he says, no, no, no. There's more that God has for you. And you know, this week, um, I got to be with our residents here. And some of you guys know this, but we, we have a resident class that comes in every year. A lot of recent graduates or people that were thinking about going into full-time ministry, they spend a year here, like a residency that you would see at a hospital, and they get to apprentice under different ministry programs and departments. And I got to sit down with them this week and just do a training on how to write a sermon. And we use the scriptures that we're looking at today, and we get to this part and we talk about the difference and why being a casual Christian is not okay. And Mary, one of the residents, she had this incredible line. She said, you can't chill your way into glory. I've never felt older in a moment, uh, but I was like, yeah, yeah, that's good. They did tell me that you can slay your way, um, but I need at least another week to do some research on what exactly that means, but it sounded provocative and I, I liked it. Um, but usually when we come down to this part, when we talk about the straining and the pressing and the forging, this is really where the grace alert comes up, right? Like, whoa, 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 what about grace? Let's talk about it. I'm not arguing for, for less grace, I'm arguing for more grace. And I love the way Dallas Willard talks about it. He says, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And that's very different. We already established that from the beginning. The reason we're doing any of this isn't to be accepted, it's because we already are. It's because we are already loved. And grace, it's so much bigger than I think that we kind of boil it down to sometimes. Like, God's grace is just as much for my sanctification as it was for my forgiveness. I need God's grace just as much as I did on that day that I gave my life to Jesus that I do today. That God's grace wasn't done with me when he just paid for my sins. God's grace is for every step of this race. Got one, I'll take one. Sanctification, here's all that means. God, through his spirit, is making you holy. He's setting you apart for a very specific purpose. That's what his grace is doing in your life. That now that you, you have this holy discontentment, that's what God's producing in your life. No longer do you grieve the past. No longer you just look back on all the things that happened. You now have this ache for the future. You believe that God just got going in your life, that, that he still has more for you, so you press on. Do you have a holy discontentment? Do you know what I mean? Do you have that ache 
for the future? Do you believe that your best days truly are ahead of you? Do you believe that God has more in store for you? That there is more of God's love and there is more of God's grace and there's more of his freedom that you can step into? But do you, do you believe that? Do you have that holy discontentment? Do you have that mamba mentality? You know what I mean? Some of you guys don't, and that's fine. Um, but Kobe Bryant, and no matter what you think about Kobe Bryant, I'm just talking about his mentality. You would see this guy who is the best at what he did. He would give one of the best performances of his career, then you would see him in the gym afterwards, getting more shots up, always believing that there was, he, he had another better version of him to be found. Do, do you have that? Do you have what Paul was talking about, that idea that I haven't arrived, so I press on because I believe that God has more for me? And maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I want that, but, but how do we stir up a holy discontentment? You know what I mean? How do we stir that up within our lives? Well, Paul, he, he says exactly what we need to do in verse 17. That's why I love the Bible. Take a look at this. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. He says, pattern your lives after mine and follow those who, who are living the same way that I'm living. In, in 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. This was Paul's whole motif. And this is, where did he get it from? He got it from Jesus. This is the Jesus model, where Jesus began his ministry and he selected 12. And he says, hey, I know what you guys were doing before. Drop it. And here's what I want you to do. Follow me. When I move, you move. Listen to what I say. Listen and watch how I interact with people. Watch, learn the rhythms of my life. And then at the end of these three years, you're gonna be like me. That's what they were called. They were called little Christ because they literally reflected Jesus more than anything else. That's what a disciple is. It's a, it's a learner or a better word for it maybe even is apprentice. I love the word apprentice because it really ties the two from not just knowledge but experience, right? Like if I was going to apprentice under a blacksmith, at the end of my residency, who would I become? Guys, I promise you, my goal is to get you to talk more, not less. I will never give you a trick question. Be like, hi, I gotcha. You thought it was blacksmith, it's actually ballerina. Um, <laughs> if I'm apprenticing under a blacksmith, what am I hoping to become? If I'm apprenticing under a bodybuilder, bodybuilder, who do I hope to become? Thank you. Um, and here's the question that I was wrestling with this week, and because I've been wrestling with it, I, I, I wanna give you the, the opportunity to wrestle as well. If someone spent their time imitating me, who would they become? Yeah. If someone spent their time, said pastor, <laughs> uh, or bodybuilder, um, <laughs> And I'm not saying if they spent their time imitating you that they would turn into something bad. Maybe they would become a great doctor or lawyer or plumber 
Maybe they would um, become a, a great leader or entrepreneur. Maybe they would become a great mom or dad, but at the end of their time, pattering their life after yours, would they become a better follower of Jesus? Because there's this, there's this tie between knowledge and experience, not only just knowing the things, but doing them. And I think, honestly, the best group right now that still holds on to this ancient practice of apprenticeship are the trades, like your, your plumbers, your electricians. And uh, some of you guys don't know this about me, but um, my dad is a plumber by trade, and I, I did a short stint in that field. Um, it was very short, but I, I did it for a summer. And I'm usually the guy that's holding the pipe or cleaning up the mess. That's my, my speed. But there was one day, I'm apprenticing under him, and we're cutting this pipe from the ceiling. And I'm holding onto this side of the pipe, and he's cutting on the other end. And I'm holding onto it real tight. But after the other side gets cut, it's so heavy that it drops a little bit, right? And I'm telling you, it falls just enough to shake up whatever liquid from hell came bursting out of this seam. And it touched my lips. And I knew then, it was like God told me, like those lips are going to be used to preach the gospel. Lay down this pipe. I got something different for you. And I did. Oh, I'm an idiot. Um, But maybe you're in that spot right now and you're wondering like, how do I stir up that holy discontentment in my life? I don't even have people that I can pattern my life after if I wanted to. And I just wanna point you and I wanna encourage you to sign up for Rooted. If that's you, if you're looking to stir up that holy discontentment in your life, if you're looking to take your training seriously, your discipline, to place yourself in an environment where you are gonna be pressed and molded into the image of Jesus, I can't think of a better place than Rooted, where you get the knowledge and you get the experience. It introduces you to these seven rhythms of what it looks like to live on mission and to run this race. And they're incredible. You have everything from daily devotion. What does it look like to spend time with God daily? To developing a prayer life, to live a life of repentance. What does it mean to be generous, to serve, to share your story, to really worship? And what I love about all seven of these is that it's knowledge and experience, right? Because it's one thing to read it in a book and to understand it. Like I can read in a book how to get out of a headlock. But until I'm in the middle of a, being put in a headlock, it really doesn't matter. I can't be like, okay, what did page 37, paragraph two? No, I need that experience to go along with it. And I think Rooted does a better job than anything else with bridging those two together. Really rich content, but also the experience to go with it. So if that's you, here's the link, tpcc.org rooted. Get signed up today. We got the next session that's gonna be starting It's something you can do every single day. You join together once a week, surrounded by like-minded people, people that you can imitate and look to them as they imitate Jesus. But here's the question that that I wanna leave you with today. I hope you join Rooted, but maybe you don't. but, But here's the thing, here's the question. Is my faith forging me into the likeness of Jesus? That's really what it comes down to. 
Is my faith forging me into the image and likeness of Jesus? Am I placing myself in that thing where I'm allowing God's hands to shape me, to shape me and mold me and to push me? And even though it's uncomfortable, I know it's what's best for me. Is my faith forging me? Does it really feel like I'm, I'm training? I mean, imagine like an Olympian that only trained once a week. You wanna get a little bit more real? What about one that only trained once a month? I was just reading this article about Creed Three, and Michael B. Jordan and uh, Jonathan Majors, who were starring in this film, trained two to three times a day to be fake boxers. <laughs> think about that. So I think, we got some space that God wants to do something with that holy discontentment that he's put into our lives, but he's also given us free will, so we get to choose, right? What we give our time to, what's our, what's our one thing? I just wanna ask you, what's, what's your one thing? You can be great at one thing and you get to choose it, but what are you gonna choose? A lot of us, I mean, we get to be great at one thing, right? Like Shaq. Right? What's Shaq's one thing? Basketball, right? Nobody said actor. <laughs> or rapper, right? No, it's, it's basketball. What would happen if you made Jesus your one thing? Your priority, not one of many, but the thing. That following him was the most important thing. And then you allowed yourself to go through the training and the pressing and the forging. What could God do? What would God stir up in our church, in our lives, in our city, if we would take him seriously and allow ourselves to be placed into that position? I mean, what could happen? And I just wanna encourage you today to don't grow weary, to don't get tired, to run the race, to fight the good fight. Because this life that God has called us to, it is beautiful and it is, there's a mystery to it. Because here's the thing that differentiates between this race and every other race that you'll see in the world. There's no in season and out of season. You're constantly on this race. You're constantly running towards Jesus. Maybe you're like, how am I not going to get tired? How am I not going to burn out? And it reminds me of what God says in Isaiah when he says that, you know, even young men grow weary, that they get tired and exhausted. But what does he say? Those who trust in the Lord, they will run, not get tired. They will soar like eagles. They will walk and not faint because of the spirit of God that, was, that is within you. This is what he wants to do. That we should be excited, not dwelling on the past, but looking ahead to what God has for us in eager anticipation. I love what he says in verse 20. Take a look at this. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly, eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take, look at this, our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies just like his own. 
using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. We have these mortal bodies today and we press and we forge and we become more and more like him on this race, but we run and we run and we know that one day there's gonna be this beautiful exchange where we go from these mortal bodies to this glorious body like his. And there's this beautiful exchange where we realize that that race, even as hard as it was, it was, it was worth it. And that I know that what happened there does not compare to the glory that awaits me when I receive my prize, when I get to be with Jesus for all of eternity. You see, when we think about the past, we don't think about what was done to us or even necessarily what we did. We, we think about what has already been done for us through the body of Jesus. That's what happens when we take communion, which is what we're about to do right now. We take the elements and we remember what was done. That's what communion is. It's a moment to be with God, to commune with him. That just like Mary, where she was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking in everything he had to say, that's what we're gonna do now. And as we remember, I just want you to take a little bit of that bread And I want you to remember what it, what it symbolizes. It symbolizes Jesus' body, which is broken on our behalf. And we take this piece of bread and we remember. take the juice, which represents Jesus' blood, which was spilled for us, paying the debt, forgiving us of our sins, so that we can live a life not haunted by our past, but pressing on towards the future. So take the juice, which represents his blood, and we remember you. going to do now is just we're just going to have a longer time of reflection, a time to respond, because I believe that God is doing something new in this season, that there is this holy discontentment, not just in a few, but in many. And really, all I'm going to do is just give you some time to be with God, to commune with him, to sit with him, and to hear what is it that he has for you? What is he calling you to do? What is he calling you to start or to stop? So go ahead and just, just take a few moments and reflect and ask the question, what is God saying to you? <laughs> 